0: Hey there everyone, Assalamualaikum, welcome back to the Social Business Podcast powered by the School of Business and Social Sciences from none other than Al-Bukhari International University. Hi, you're with me, Dr. Nawal, in this episode to hear about a fascinating, proud Malaysian social enterprise called Earth Air. Earth Air collaborates with a network of over 100 artisans and a core group of 40 traditional artisans and refugees in Malaysia to build sustainable livelihoods for underserved communities. They actively involved in the design process, bringing to life new ideas by harnessing the skills and traditions of their expert craftspeople. Earth Air is a social enterprise accredited by Magic Malaysia. Not only that, Earth Air is also proudly Fair Trade certified with the World Fair Trade Organization following the 10 Fair Trade principles. They operate transparently with ethical practices to maximize income and impact among artisans they serve while reinvesting the majority of the profit to achieve their mission. In this episode, we are fortunate to have the opportunity to have an interview session with the founder and also the Chief Innovation Officer of EarthAir, Madam Sasibai Kimis, to tell us about amazing and heartwarming stories about EarthAir. Therefore, without further ado, let's jump in into the interview session with Madam Sasi Baikimis.
1: Hi there, good morning, uh, uh, Sasi. Good morning, how are you? you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Uh,
2: Hoping the lockdowns will end soon.
1: (laughs) <laughs> so I hope you're doing well in this uh, COVID situation that we're having right now. So is everything okay in your side?
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is yeah.
1: Mm, so you're you're healthy. No, no issue about COVID.
2: Um, I'm mm. under isolation because I'm someone that I knew got COVID, so I have to like wait and see. But yeah, I'm fine. Okay. So I hope you're doing well. I mean, are you tested? Uh not yet. I'm gen two, so I'm waiting for the gen one people to get tested first.
1: Okay, so are you vaccinated? No, not yet.
2: I'm yeah, still waiting for it.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, still same. I'm waiting for it too. Uh i the phase three is already started, so I hope we can uh get called soon.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, so first of all, I just uh I want to thank you for doing this interview with me. I really appreciate it.
2: No, thank you for having us and, Uh, you know, wanting uh, to learn about the Earth S story. So, yeah, happy to be here.
1: Yeah, of course, because we're doing this podcast where we interview other, uh, a lot of uh, social entrepreneurs. So we have done, uh, this is our ninth episode, so meaning we have interviewed eight Social entrepreneurs before this, so this actually this is actually the podcast where we interview social entrepreneurs. So uh, since your company is an accredited uh, so- social enterprise uh, and certified, right? So we that's why we choose your company to do this interview for the information, for the knowledge, for the uh, our students in Al bukhari International University.
2: Yes, um, I was actually <laughs> supposed to um speak at the university like last year oh really yeah, and then uh, you know, and then the lockdowns happen, pandemic. So I still haven't gone yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, because uh, actually I just joined Al Buhari uh, this year in February. So uh, of course, yeah, we are doing a lot of uh, collaborations, and we are, always invite uh, speakers from uh, social enterprises and also other corporations to actually spread their knowledge, you know, and experience to the students, so that the students can get. The, the, the hands-on, you know, the, the real situation of the business world, you know. So, uh, of course, after this, I guess we are now on a semester break. So, we will be starting a new semester. And, of course, uh, we would have courses that will require us to invite uh, speakers from uh, social enterprises. So, I guess I'll be getting in touch with you,
2: maybe. <laughs> sure. I mean, whatever I can do, happy to help.
1: All right. Okay. So I'm just going to start with the first question. Okay. Sure. So uh, can you please tell me about the history of Earth Air and how, how is it, it was formed and basically what is it all about?
2: Um, so I think before um, to kind of get give context um, about what Earth Air is, I, I will share a little bit about my background as well. Um, so I come, I have a background in like finance, um, investment banking and like private equity. Um, so I was sort of working in the finance field um, in New York, um, in London, and then even in Malaysia, I was working with Kazana.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: um, after my time in New York, I actually ended up um, doing my master's. Um, so I went, from, went to do my master's in the UK um and then it was after my masters that you know i, I thought of cuz my masters was in M, uh mphil in cambridge it's uh, on environment and development so it was very different from what i studied in my undergrad which was finance um so i wanted to like understand um you know why people why is there poverty in the world when there's so much wealth um and you know why why do poor people remain poor and why is there so much resources, but yet, you know, it's not being spread and people don't have, you know, it's like there's so much food in so many countries and so much food wastage. And then there are still people starving in other parts of the world, you know? Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to understand, you know, like the whole big picture of like how things are and why. Um, so after I, I studied my master's, I Then went to um, I came back to Malaysia for two years and I worked with a a railway engineering firm, which I'm now working with again. Um, And after that, I got an opportunity to work in Africa. So I went to uh, Africa, West uh, Africa, Ghana, Mm -hmm. and it was while I was in Ghana that I worked with um, the UNDP. I was with them for six months and then I worked with a local NGO there that was um, working with gold mining companies in Ghana. And, you know, it was during that time that I, I realized that, you know, when I was working in New York, right, mm-hmm. like everybody's making a lot of money or like, you know, in the financial world. And, but no one was really concerned about like doing good for the world. And then when I was in, uh, in Ghana, you know, working with an NGO, It's like, we were doing a lot of good, but we just don't have enough money. You know, we always have to go and like, look for funding, have to ask for grants. And if the money, the funding is cut, then we cannot help the people, you know, the people that we were helping. So, you know, I found it very frustrating because I was like, you know, when there's a lot of money, people are not thinking about doing good. And then people who are doing good never have enough money, right? So it's like, that's when I started thinking about this whole idea about social enterprise. Like, why... Can't we keep making money, like have business, like income streams that then help us, you know, keep doing the good that we do without having to depend on, like, you know, fundraising all the time, right? Yeah. So, um, I think that's really like when, um, you know, it was during my masters and when I during my time in Ghana, I started thinking about this like, because. Um, my master's, my supervisor actually asked me to think about microfinance, you know, because at that point, Muhammad Yunus, um, you know, was a pioneer of microfinance. So microfinance was essentially one of the first waves of, you know, where you are running a sustainable business model to keep helping people. So that's really the underpinning of what social, you know, what a social enterprise is, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, Um, you know, fast forward a bit. um, I, you know, after Africa, I went to work in London and then I came back to Malaysia um, and I was working at Kazana and, you know, I came to a point in my life, like, I think this was like, I was in my early thirties, you know, and I started thinking about like, you know, what am I doing with my life? Is my life about just making a lot of money Uh, you know, like accumulating wealth for myself and live a nice life and then I die and I had a nice life? Or, you know, is it about feeling like I have made a positive impact in the lives of others, right? So I started thinking about these questions because uh, of an incident that happened. I mean, I fell asleep while I was driving home at night and, you know, I, cause I'd been working very like, long hours for almost six months and, you know, and luckily, obviously like my car didn't crash and I was still on the highway and, you know, so it started me, it started making me think, uh, you know, about, about my time in this world because, you know, really anything can happen and, you know, I could have died that night, right? So that's when, like, you know, then I, I actually quit my job at Kazana and I took time off. Um, you know, because I felt like whatever I do next, I want it to be something that...
1: Meaningful. Uh, right? Yes,
2: yeah, something meaningful and, you know, not that the jobs I was doing before was not meaningful. But I wanted to feel more connected to the impact that I was having, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and the impact that we wanted to achieve. So... So I, I was in like Hawaii, uh, I was learning about natural farming and then I was in Cambodia like teaching English and building schools and that's when I met with um, like sex trafficking survivors and children rescued from sex trafficking and um, you know I, and I met them and they were making like products like silk scarves and stuff and so I just started buying from them, using my own money, like, you know, to help them. And just kind of like selling the scarves to my friends, you know, mm-hmm. to try and help. And essentially, that's what I was doing. Like, it wasn't a business. I didn't plan to start anything, um, you know. But after a while of doing that, I met with uh, an impact investor like uh, Dr. Kim Tan. And he basically, you know, said like, hey, you know, if you want to really impact these women and these communities that you're working with, it cannot be a hobby and a side thing. You know, you have to make it into a real business so that it can continue and it will grow and you'll be able to help these women. Um, So I was like, "Uh, okay, because I mean, I didn't intend to start my business. I mean, start a business. Uh, Like Mm -hmm. I didn't. You know, and I didn't write, like, a business proposal or business case, nothing. You know, I just was like, oh, okay, and went and registered the company mm-hmm. and started Earth Air. So that's essentially, like, how Earth Air started. And so the first three years, uh, we actually weren't working with any artisans in Malaysia. I was, uh, you know, I was trying to, like, learn. So the first three years is also just me alone. Um, you know there's no one else in the company I was like literally like trying to build a company from my living like my bedroom in my Mm -hmm. back house and all of the products and stock that I bought you know everything was like all over the house and then I put like more almost all of my savings into the startup capital uh, to buy the products and travel and meet the artisans and try to figure out how to work with artisans and you know what are the issues they have what is our business model like so the first three years was actually like me trying to figure things out and those were very very difficult years because I was alone I was doing everything like sales marketing inventory accounts you know like whatever customer service uh, you know so It's like I was very, very overwhelmed and I was exhausted. Um, And after three years of doing that, I was like, you know, still hadn't like broken even. And I thought, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Uh, You know, like, so I started thinking like, like maybe this is not the best use of my talent and time. Um, You know, because I mean, in fact, uh, my biggest supporter and my biggest critic was my dad, you know, and he was like, how much money are you making selling this stuff? You know, like whatever you cr- revenue you created for this company is like you could have earned, like you could have just donated a portion of your salary from Kazana or wherever, and w- it would have been more than what you earn, you know, like what mm-hmm. revenue you earn um, mm-hmm. in this company. So, so mm-hmm. then I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I should give up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but But what happened that year on our third year, which was 2015, um, was that we won the British Council Social Enterprise Award. um, And the British Council gave us, uh, I think, 25,000 ringgit. And um, they said, okay, go and create five new Malaysian products. And part of that grant, like, you know, winning that was we got um, some money to renovate a space, right? Mm-hmm. So I used that seed money and added in more money to renovate a physical space, which is now our studio. Um, and then started traveling in Malaysia because I thought like, you know, Malaysia, no more artisans really, like, you know, like because we're so ob- urbanized and developed, right? Compared to our neighboring countries. But in mm-hmm. fact, Malaysia has artisans. They are a lot fewer and and it's quickly dying um, because a lot of our artisans are old um, and the artisans are not getting help. So, you know, that's when I re- started working with Malaysian artisans and creating Malaysian products and then realized, you know what, actually, there isn't... Um, a brand uh, that is showcasing you know like malaysian heritage products um, you know for the nation as in there is a gap in the market right yeah and that's when i realized you know like the other social enterprises like you know batik boutique and tanoti like the three of us are working on traditional heritage crafts like batik boutique on batik and Tanuti on like songkit right and then earth air was working with um, non-textile like natural fiber products um, and you know I the reason all, that I chose to focus on this also is because I felt that the textiles in Malaysia like Bate and songket already has a lot of attention there's already been a lot of government initiatives and a lot of money that has gone in but for products like natural fiber weavings like Mungkuang and ribu-ribu and bamboo, you know, there isn't much help, um, you know, and much thinking going behind these um, sectors. Um, so that's why we started focusing on that. Um, and so essentially now, like at Earth Air, you know, we have like a wide range of products like uh, made from natural fibers, like bags and corporate gifts and, Office stuff and home interiors, um, and we also have like plastic um, strip bags that are made by like the Orang Asal in Sarawak, and you know. So our our products have evolved, and how we make the products has evolved, and and now we are um we are the only heritage brand that's fair trade certified in Malaysia. Um, we are fair trade certified by the World Fair Trade Organization. So mm-hmm. Fair trade certification is a um, certification that allows customers or consumers that buy from a brand to know about the standards and ethics that the brand practices in making those products. So anyone who buys from us, you know, we were rigorously audited for almost like a year and a half, two years before we were given the certification. So people can re- trust that whatever they buy from Earth Air is ethically made, there's no child labour, environmental impact is minimised, artisans are compensated fairly, you know, all of these things. It's uh, pretty
1: much transparent, right? It's transparent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: yes. Um, so, you know, we try to, I think, um, you know, we actually started giving like a breakdown of our pricing as well um, on our website to help people understand, you know, like how is the pricing for that product arrived at, Um, you know, so that they have confidence. Because I think, so this is a a human psychology kind of thing, like, you know, so basically people are not very, um, they find it strange that um, you can do good and be making money. So in the early years of Earth Air, when I, you know, when I was doing like, pop-ups at like every single bazaar or shopping mall I could find or think of, right? Mm -hmm. So customers would be like, what? You're helping artisans? Oh, but you're not an NGO. Oh, you're what? You're social enterprise? What's that, you know? And then, then they're like, but how can you make money out of helping people, you know? So it's like, there's this idea that if you're helping people, you cannot make money, you know? So the, so the whole, like, concept of social entrepreneurship was not very easy for people to accept. Um, you know, but the whole thing, the idea is that social enterprises are ethical intermediaries, they're ethical businesses. So we are driven by a social mission to do good, but our work is financed by business income streams you know so our Mm -hmm. focus is not to maximize profit at all costs and ignore the people that we work with and exploit them or you know get the lowest price Mm -hmm. for everything like that's not our mission right so it's like a whole different mindset change Um, and I think that's the strength of social enterprises right but to create a sustainable social enterprise that earns enough money and survives is one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do because running a traditional business where you're not thinking about like who's making the product, where is the product made, are the materials you're using ethical and are they sustainable? Like you're not even thinking about all of that. You're just trying to like buy and sell or provide a service and make money out of it, right? It's hard enough making money as a traditional business, mm-hmm. trying to make money as a social enterprise where you're, you know, trying to focus on your social mission and your business impact, it makes it like 100 times harder to like survive and mm-hmm. make money. So, you know, so I feel like social enterprises in Malaysia, like um, over the years, like when I first started, there was no magic, there was no government support. People didn't know what social enterprises were, no one was supporting anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So now, like almost what, seven, eight years later, you know, there's MAGIC, there's been a lot of support for social enterprises. Now there's an accreditation system and, you know, and, and MAGIC is also trying to get the e done. So meaning like trying to encourage government ministries to source, procure and buy from social enterprises, you know. So mm-hmm. these are all like huge changes and like great steps to grow the social enterprise sector in Malaysia.
1: Yeah, even the government give grants to the social enterprises, right?
2: Yeah, so they don't do that so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like before, they there was a lot more grants. You know, and for us, um, you know, the grant that we got for the from was from the British Council, um, and then with Magic, um, you know, we recently uh, worked on a grant for digital marketing. So they they are more focused now on on aspects of trying to help scaling and, you know, and making the social enterprises grow and, and survive. Um, I mean, in this past two years, you know, with the pandemic has been brutal, right? Yeah, and It's brutal. been brutal to a normal business. And it's been very brutal for social enterprises because our cost of doing business is a lot higher because we pay more, we pay higher prices for everything because we're paying fairly you know and we have to source from from as ethical and as sustainable as we can um so normally these things cost more right so yeah yeah, so it has been a challenge and i think for us like last year uh we survived by like making ppe so we had a uh, ppe making project uh, that we worked on with refugees Um, And we made PPE for Malaysian frontliners and that was funded by um, like corporations and funded by, you know, everyday people, the general public who donated money um, for us to make PPE. So even for that, you know, we gave a breakdown so people know exactly like, okay, if you're giving 20 ringgit, what is the 20 ringgit going to, you know? So that you know the donations are used fairly and it's not, you know, there's no like siphoning or whatever. So so I think it's very important as social enterprises to be able to give people the confidence in um, what we are doing. Um, mm-hmm. And I see like our Fair trade certification and, you know, being accredited by Magic as one of the key ways that people have confidence, you know, that... We are doing our best and we are trying to be, you know, um, ethical and fair in, in everything that we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So the grants that you get from uh, corporations, right? So do they do it under the CSR? or? Uh,
2: no, we didn't get grants from corporations. We mm-hmm. fundraised from companies for the PPE project.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: Um. But we have not received any grants from any companies. Mm -hmm. Um. Companies have. I mean, they. So what we encourage companies to do is to buy products from us. Okay. Um. I mean, last year we got certified with the um donations. So if like anyone donates to us, they get a tax exemption. So, you know, but we are not an NGO, so you, we don't encourage people to, like, just donate to us, you know what I mean? So, yeah. only for the making of the PPE, we raise donations, but we made PPE out of it. So, we don't take donations necessarily to, like, run our business, you know what I mean? You it's, know,
1: d- you don't depend on it, right?
2: Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's for a very specific reason, like, um, you know, so we will do some, so we actually encourage companies to actually purchase from us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know because at least then that gives an income to the artisans and um, you know it keep helps to keep us going and um, you know it's a much better way um, mm-hmm. but in times of crisis um, you know grants definitely help. like last year was really it was very very helpful um, and you know but this year uh, it hasn't been the same so you know we are really like trying to work our hardest and darnest to see, like, how we can, you know, increase our sales and trying to go digital um, so mm-hmm. that we can try to get things done and make more sales. So, our biggest challenge as a social enterprise is obviously, like, sales, you know, because as you can tell, uh, you know, not many people may be aware of, you know, buying from social enterprises or buying from fair trade enterprises and you know, buying more ethically and things like that. Um, you know, so, so that so we see, you know, as as we grow, that we need to start expanding our markets and looking at overseas markets as well, because their um, society, for example, like in Australia or Japan or UK or US, you know, like people are more aware of like, sustain- why sustainability? Like, there's a much better ecosystem of sustainable mm-hmm. uh, products and ethical products and fair trade products. So there are more customers who are willing to invest and buy into this. But that said, um, you know, to be fair, 80% of our revenue has actually come from within Malaysia. So mm-hmm. we cannot say that Malaysians are not supporting social enterprises. That's not true. Um, but you know we just feel that with time uh for us to like survive and try to sell more online we mm-hmm. need to start thinking about you know looking at other markets as well
1: mm-hmm. so i'm i'm sure you are passionate about arts and uh fashion i think because of uh, the products that you sell that you are selling right
2: um yeah i mean we we make uh you know bags and jewelry and things mm-hmm. like that and, Um, I used to lead uh, Fashion Revolution Malaysia um, because I was very keen on making sure like we try to raise awareness about why ethical fashion matters in Malaysia and, you know, and help um, the public, you know, understand a bit more about ethical fashion.
1: So, uh, can you like give us uh, some insight about the name that you use for your company, Earth Air? I mean, is there any specific reason or special uh, kind of thought putting to put that you put into the name Earth Air?
2: Um, Yeah, there is. Um, So, for me, uh, the name Earth Air—I mean, like you know—in Malay, it actually is like comes from you know this idea that we are all like waris bumi you know mm-hmm. so that and how important that is meaning as as of this earth uh you know we have a responsibility to like jaga everything you know like the environment animals and the people on this planet. The people yeah mm-hmm. so it's that you know we cannot create businesses and do things that harm people and the environment you know that kind of business model cannot be condoned and should not be supported so i feel like you know consumers really uh have the power you know it's like we need to ask businesses and corporations and to change to develop a business model that respects the earth and respects people and the environment you know because we can no longer just ignore and build business models that just maximize profit and don't think about revamping their business models to be more ethical and transparent and fair. Mm. Um, You know, we, we can't, we've come to a point in the world where we can't keep doing things the old way. And I think in a way, the pandemic has actually helped to make people realize that as well. You
1: know. Yeah, I, 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 I have to agree with you on that because, you know, for this pandemic, I mean, people are having problems with their income and so, so many people have lost their jobs. And uh, we, I mean, companies who are successful should help uh, or uh, or people should have have, should help each other right so in terms of getting I mean corporation giving uh, helping in the terms of funding and also social enterprises to be built to help all these people right
2: yeah um, so I think that it's more than CSR or like you know just putting money away um, I think that there is an, a need for businesses to actually essentially transform their business model itself and look at how are they making money, you know, how are they treating their vendors and do they have procurement standards for their vendors to make sure that whatever they are buying is like, you know, not made by slave labor or, you know, things like this. Um, and, and companies that, you know, as we have seen in during the pandemic, I mean, with a lot of things have been revealed um, where immigrants are, you know, are being exploited in factories to make cheap products, you know, all of this, like all of this has to stop because we cannot be buying products that is being made on someone else's suffering. Do you know what I mean? Like we have to move beyond this. We have to think that these are, Decis- ethical decisions that we have to make as human beings where I don't want to buy something where I feel like someone has struggled and suffered or died to make something that I'm buying, you know, like... I don't want that. So
1: sometimes, sometimes people don't even realize that, right? So they just buy things and they yeah. don't even know where it came from, you know?
2: Exactly. And so that's really essentially the main thing that, you know, we have been encouraging is, you know, even... And I learned this from like the fashion revolution movement is, you know, one of the taglines of fashion revolution is who made my clothes, right? So it's actually just essentially encouraging consumers and buyers to ask questions from these brands you know like who made my t-shirt where where you know like what is made in bangladesh okay like where or is made in china like you know like it, are you it's the factory that's being made at is it safe for the workers you know like are, are, is there like damage is there like polluted water going into the river from making this product you know all these things they matter so, you know, that's really why like, you know, even with our clients, like we really try to share um you know the what the materials are made of and uh and who's making it and and we try as much as possible to use like biodegradable, recycled uh you know materials that are hopefully not damaging the environment, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um and you know and, and it's hard like because even when we want to find like organic cotton, there's like no, no one making organic cotton in Malaysia, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like we have to source for these products like and raw materials sometimes like from overseas like, um, to, to try and, and be as ethical as we can. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's not an easy process, you know, and no one is perfect. I cannot say that we are or anyone is like, oh, 100% ethical and 100% like, oh, everything correct. this. There's probably no such thing because if you are, you know, making something, you are, you know, using up some raw materials and you're using up something, right? So,
1: yeah,
2: um, yeah. so there's no perfect world, but I think that every one of us can start somewhere, oh. you know, and it can start with as simple as asking questions like where it is, where, where is what I'm buying made? Like, you know, yeah. so you're buying food. You know, so now, like, you know, I think during the pandemic, like, a lot of people have realized, you started supporting individuals and home businesses, you know, so you know that, oh, this is the person that made it, so I'm helping this person by buying this from them. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a direct connection with the maker of the product that you're buying. And essentially, that is what social enterprises do. And that's what Earth Air does, you know, like, you know, who are the artisans? Where are the artisans? You know, we, we try to profile as many of our artisans as we can, make videos, tell their stories. So you know that every time you buy something, you know who made it. So there's a personal connection here that you're building. Um, and I think yeah. we need to get back to that.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think it's important for consumers to purchase responsibly, right? Yeah. So that, uh, And then the fact that your company is very transparent, I think it's a very good thing. And other social enterprises should take that as an example. Uh, and I think a lot of social enterprises are doing the same as well, like, uh, I'm pretty sure, because, uh, because of the intention of the social enterprise. Uh, they intend to not only uh, do business, but also to help people. People and the environment as well right yes. so, uh, I, I feel like social enterprises should be uh, uh, to, to be made aware to the students and the community so that people would purchase responsibly and also be aware of the benefits of the social enterprises to help people yeah so okay so uh, I can see that you're very very passionate about social entrepreneurship so was it more of an advocacy or a career path
2: um, I mean, it clearly wasn't a career path because I didn't intend mm-hmm. to start a business or become a social entrepreneur. It kind of just happened. Um, it was more like, you know, I just saw a need. I didn't know what to do, so I did what I can. Um, mm-hmm. And that's essentially how Earth Air started. You know, I didn't have a plan or idea of like oh I want to solve this problem and that's why I want to do this no it was just more like you know I was faced with with situations that broke my heart and I saw people that were suffering and struggling that was very painful to see so then I thought okay what can I do you know and that's essentially how I started yeah
1: Okay, so in terms of your uh, customers, I mean, you do trainings as well, is it? You do training and also uh, the selling of products, right?
2: Um, So so what's happened um, over the years of growing EarthEd is that, you know, we realize that as a small social enterprise, you know, we only have so much money, right? So there are only so many artisans that we can like design, make products and buy from them, Right. Yeah. So, but there are so many artisans that we don't have the money to buy from them or work with them, right? So it's like, how can we try to support them? How can we, like, increase our impact? Um, so, what, so with that, we've actually now, like, we partnered with, um, say, the first partner that we worked with was UNHCR, right? So uh, the UN Refugee Agency. So they paid us uh, and we trained refugees to make jewelry. So now like we have a like refugee product line. Mm-hmm. And then we worked with like WWF and we worked with uh, DDAC and Mara. So we've now like, um, so now like companies and foundations or you know organizations can pay Earth Air to go and train other communities to do what we do and like learn what we are doing. So in the last, like this year, in fact, like we trained, um, you know, Mara entrepreneurs, like artisan entrepreneurs in Pahang, uh, in Pera, and Sarawak, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you train,
1: so you train them uh, to be a part of your company or is it uh, just for them to use
2: for their own benefits? It's, for the, it's to help them to be independent.
1: Independent, okay. Yeah, so
2: mm-hmm. it's like we train them on production, on quality, on design, and on pricing. I mean, and it's, uh, like, shocking, like, how many artisans, you know, like, actually don't even, didn't even know how to price their products properly, and, you know, and they were underpricing it, or they were completely overpricing it, and things like that. So, it's, um, you know, that's something we've started doing. But, of course, for our own artisans that we do work with, I mean, them, we train, like you know, some of our artisans have been training for like five years, you know, I mean, as in, you know, there's constant improvements and constant feedback that we give to them. And in fact, before we actually um, take an artisan uh you know, to say like, okay, we will work with you. I mean, this it's a long process. I mean, first of all, we have to figure out whether we can make something good with the artisan that we like and that we think we can sell, and you know, um, it's a sustainable product um, to be added into our product range. So even to get to that stage, you know, we work with an artisan for at least almost a year, because you know, a lot of artisans um, when they make a product, right, like. They have been used to like making whatever they want and then just selling it, right? So then Mm -hmm. we come in and we're like, okay, here's the design, here's the size. Uh, You know, we need the size to be like this, we need the quality to be like this. So they're like, huh? You know, so it's like, as in now they have a standard and a quality that they have to do for every single product. They can't just like simply do whatever and just sell it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's also a mindset change for the, for the artisans. And it is a, a process where, you know, we've had a lot of artisans get angry at us. I mean, I've had artisans like shout at me on the phone and get upset, you know, when mm-hmm. we give them feedback, you know, because they're like, oh, you think my product's not good enough? So then we have to explain to them like, no, it's not that. It's because, you know, if you want to sell to a company and you want to create a product that is consistent you have to have consistent quality standards you cannot have different size you cannot have different like oh this one the weave is loose this one the weave is tight you can't do that you know Mm. if you want to grow so um you know so all of these things like we have to teach the artisans you know and it it takes a it takes time yeah of course (laughs) yeah i mean it's like any human being right if you want you tell them okay what you're doing now is not correct you have to try and improve right so it takes time and also Mm -hmm. takes um you know a lot of humility on our part and humility on the part of the artisan as well you know to be willing to learn from each other you know as we grow together to try and do something yeah
1: so basically your customers are the person that you train and also the people who buy your products right
2: our customers... No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yes. you. Mm. Yes, yeah, so we have two um, revenue streams now in terms okay. of like, you know, we sell our products to end consumers um, and also we do like our ed- training programs. So our training programs are paid for by other companies that, you know, then we go and train other communities to help them do what we do.
1: Okay, okay. So, you mentioned about uh, collaborations with other organizations, right? So, uh, do you have any uh, other collaborations that you have done?
2: Um, you mean in terms of, like, training? Yeah. So, yeah. we've done it, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like, with UN Refugee Agency, with WWF, um, and um, DDEC and MARA yeah at mm-hmm. the moment um you mm-hmm. know of course, we do a lot of product collaborations. Uh, mm-hmm. you know we often make custom products for a lot of different uh, corporations. um you know we basically design uh, products that suit their budget and the event and the need that they have. yeah
1: so the products are uh mostly like uh, uh fashion products it related to fashion and arts, right?
2: Um, I think it's related to, um, we do have fashion, but we also have a lot of corporate products uh, that are suitable oh. for working people and for office use and home interiors. Mm.
1: Okay, so do, do you have any future collaborations that you wish to to do?
2: Uh no at the moment we're just focusing on surviving the pandemic.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you you have mentioned that your uh, biggest challenge was uh, the sales right. Uh so is does it uh, have any connection with the pandemic? Uh
2: yeah of course. Uh mm-hmm. you know I think uh, that's plain to see for everybody that you know during the pandemic it's um um, you know, very difficult and and quite brutal, as I mentioned earlier. That uh, sales are much lower than you know, obviously, um, than it was before, because uh, one of our key revenue streams was uh, corporate events and uh, events.
1: So yeah, event. people
2: were having weddings. Uh, you know, um, companies that are having conferences and meetings would order um, door gifts from us. So. I mean, and even that was like a huge uphill task because it's so shocking that, um, you know, companies want to do good, um, but when it comes to their corporate gifts, they want to buy the cheapest thing and they, they just want it like, and, you know, and they buy it from China. So okay. our our, you know, what we normally tell them is, you know, instead of, you say you want to do good, right? And you want to help communities. Why not support local communities and mm-hmm. local B40, you know, rather than buying the cheapest thing and from China or whatever. And then it's just thrown away and it doesn't have much meaning and it's not making a difference.
1: Right? Yeah, true. I agree that, yeah.
2: So, um, you know, so we... But not there are not many companies that see things that way, lah. you know. Yeah. They so will they spend like <laughs> millions. Yeah. So they will spend a lot of money, hundreds and thousands of ringgit to mm-hmm. organize an event. But the dog gifts or, you know, they want to normally find the cheapest thing possible because they don't val- They don't think of it as of value. But what we try to tell them is that, look, you know, you can actually give something meaningful to the people that have come to your event. Um, you know, something that gives back and, um, you know, so, so, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a learning process for everybody. Um, Yeah. And, and right now, you know, it's, it's hard, I mean, for companies, most companies are trying to stay afloat, like trying to, struggling to even make ends meet, you know, and pay salaries for people and stuff. So, you know, it's understandable that during this time, you know, like the economy and, uh, sales for everybody is down so mm-hmm.
1: so in terms of marketing your business uh, uh, what, is there a difference uh before and now that we are we are having this pandemic I mean what tactics have been most useful uh, in terms of before and after the pandemic
2: um I think like last year, one of the things that we you know I really felt was um I think, I, I did see, like, you know, for all the years of running a Air and trying to grow Earth Air, like, you know, I really felt like, sometimes we felt like you're a wolf in the wild and you're trying to, <laughs> you know, no one's really, like, listening to you, but, like, I think last year, um, you know, when the borders were closed and, you know, if people couldn't buy anything from overseas and you really had to depend on what was within the country, right? Yeah. So I think that helped to raise awareness of why it's important to support local manufacturing and local mm-hmm. businesses, you know, because if you just want to find the cheapest thing from wherever, um, mm-hmm. then you don't support the local economy, right? Um, yeah. And... So it's about trying to find that balance. You know, of course, you need to, um, you know, be smart with what you're doing. But wherever you can, if you can support a local business and if you can uh, make a difference in in the lives of local communities and the B40, you know, it's like, why not? Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that
1: that has yeah. So you market your business uh in online or uh is there any campaign that you do with companies or something like that you know to uh, make I mean, your business own
2: our marketing is on our social media on any yeah. mm-hmm. website yeah so we are on Instagram uh you know our handle is earth air and then uh we are on Facebook um and, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we, that's what we try to do, you know, raise awareness. And, uh, of course, you know, on our website, so people can go to our website and read about us and learn more about what we do. Yeah.
1: So in terms of training, I uh, so you do it online now?
2: Um, yes, this year we had to do it online. Yeah. We actually did two of our trainings, Pahang and Pira. We actually did it in person. Uh, okay. that was before like, you know, the the more strict lockdowns and we were actually able to travel uh, to do the training. Um, but our training in Sar- for Sarawak artisans, yes, we had to do it completely online. Mm-hmm.
1: So is there, is there a challenge in doing it? Every- doing everything online now?
2: Um, yeah, of course. I mean, because we were not able to be with the Sarawak artisans in person,
1: you know, mm-hmm. I worried
2: that they didn't get um, the same kind of training and attention from us. Um, um, that we were able to give in the in-person trainings you know because in the in-person trainings like the artisans feel comfortable just asking us whatever question and showing us their products and you know talking to us Um, but then when you're doing it online it's like just a screen and you know very few people ask questions which I felt a bit sad but I hope one day we can actually go and visit them as well and be able to give them like you know hands uh,
1: on experience together. yeah mm-hmm. so um okay um for the next question uh what about your fin- financial sustainability i mean are you able to uh still achieve that financial sustainability uh during this pandemic
2: um at the moment we are surviving on our savings we haven't mm-hmm. made enough sales to cover our monthly costs yeah
1: Okay, so I I guess a lot of other uh, social enterprises are having the same problem, you know, because of the pandemic. Uh, I think all all businesses are affected as well. Mm -hmm. So, okay, apart from all the challenges, uh, what is the most rewarding experience while running your business?
2: Um, I think for me, it's definitely the artisans that we're able to impact. And, you know, I mean, most of the communities that we work with, I mean, to me, they are like my friends. Um, so it's essentially like, you know, being with them and talking to them and and being able to help them with, you know, or by ordering for them from them and helping their livelihood. I mean, that's really what for me and I think for the team is the most rewarding. Um, you know, like, for example, like one of our artisans in Sarawak, like she's been ill for the last year. And the doctors mm-hmm. can't figure out what happened. And, you know, I spoke, um, I did I did um, um, a talk on Monday and mm-hmm. with people in Sarawak. And when I told them about um, our artisan, you know, a few of them volunteered and said, hey, we will go and visit her and see if she's okay and see how we can help, you know. And mm-hmm. so, you know, these things are what I find rewarding. It's that, you know, I don't have a lot, but with what we do have and what, you know, like to do something with what we have. Um, yeah, I think that's the rewarding part. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so um, in your organization, uh, what kind of culture that exists in your organization? I mean, is it laid back or is it uh, like according to procedures and things like that? I mean, how is the environment of your organization?
2: Um. Yeah, I think we have a very um, open uh, and friendly culture in our workplace. Close Yeah.
1: Okay. So, uh, what advice do you want to give to other aspiring social entrepreneurs? Because we have students and the communities listen to, listening to this podcast. What do you want to give to them?
2: Um, I think that, you know, for... Because, you know, a lot of young people do message and, you know, ask like, oh, I want to start my own social enterprise and things like that. I mean, um, my journey was not one where, you know, I started a social enterprise straight away. And um, and I that's not something I would recommend. So I would actually recommend that for young people mm-hmm. to go out and work with other people, like mm-hmm. work with um, other businesses and learn and develop skills and um business discipline and work ethic um, first uh, mm-hmm. so that you then when you run your own social enterprise one day if that's what you want to do you have the skills the talents, the networks and even like perhaps the startup capital you know
1: mm-hmm. um, yes yes mm-hmm. which
2: is what helped me you know to start Earth Air so I didn't need any other help to, to start earth air you know so um so what, I think, what
1: about what about volunteering do you think volunteering will be beneficial for the students
2: um so no so following on on my train of thought mm-hmm. um what i suggest is for students to definitely work for someone else and of course mm-hmm. yes you can volunteer mm-hmm. um but i don't think necessarily like i mean um As a volunteer, you um, always get deep insight into the challenges that the company faces, Um, you know, um, doing an internship, I guess, you know, you could say doing an internship, but internships actually shouldn't be volunteer positions. They should be paid. Yeah. So, um, so I think that, you know, try to do internships with social enterprises or, um, you know, try to. Be involved uh, as much as you can, and perhaps um, you know read and listen to these kind of podcasts and stuff. But essentially, what I I, I recommend is um, that people try to work with someone else, and then um, you know gain experience. Yeah, yeah, gain experience before you start something. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So what kind of impact do you want your, so, uh, your social enterprise to be in the future?
2: Um, I mean, I hope that one day like, uh, you know, Earth Air can be um, the place where Malaysians and visitors and tourists can find um, authentic, well-made, high quality, uh, made in Malaysia, like heritage products.
1: Mm-hmm. well that's nice. Um do you work with celebrities? I mean is um, any of your artisans uh, among the celebrities?
2: Any of our artisans amongst the celebrities? Mm-hmm. What do you mean?
1: Uh do you ha- do you work with uh, celebrities at all? You mean influencers?
2: Uh influencers, yeah. Yeah. Um not at the moment. Um you know we have tried reaching out to uh celebrities but It's very um, financial. Um, At the moment, we have not met uh, um, any celebrities who are willing to be like ambassadors uh, per se. I mean, we have had um, some celebrities like, um, you know, talk about our products or, you know, and a little bit, but Um, There isn't one person who's like consistently trying to help us or anything or work with us. Um, Mm -hmm. And when we, I mean, normally when we spoke to, you know, the agents, it's, it's pretty much financial. So it's like whether you can pay and we can't. So yeah, at the moment, no.
1: Yeah, but I think the most important thing is uh, for the artisans to also be passionate about their work, right, and also for, to help other people. So, I guess uh, that's all the questions that I have for you, uh, Sasi.
2: Okay, great. Thank okay. you for having thank, me. In.
1: Yeah, sure. Thank, thank you very much for giving so much insights and very inspiring stories uh, of your
2: experiences, Thank you, thank you very much for having okay,
1: me. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. Okay, I wish to work with you again in the future uh, for university for the university.
2: All right. Thank you.
1: <laughs> okay. Bye. Okay. Thank. You. Take care.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Well, now, we have come to the end of this episode. I hope the inspiring stories shared in the interview will be useful for the students of Al-Bukhari International University and also the community in general. Don't forget to stay tuned for more interviews with more successful social entrepreneurs and also more exciting information about social business. And while you're here, feel free to check out our previous Episodes where we interviewed other social entrepreneurs from different accredited social enterprises. Thank you for listening. Till next time. Bye bye.